Amen. Well, we are so excited. We are in week four of our five-week series on starting off on the right foot. And uh, just so you guys know, we're right on track. So I know with me, sometimes we'll say it's a four-week series that goes into six or eight weeks, a five-week series that becomes 10 weeks. Uh, as of now, we're right on track. So praise the Lord, we're starting the year off on the right foot. Amen. So we got to get going. But uh, we are in week four of our series, starting off on the right foot. And I I pray that you've been encouraged, not by the things I've brought to you, but by what the word of God has revealed to you. And I pray that you've been encouraged to think about wisdom this year, to think about what does wisdom look like in my life in 2023? What does it mean to live wisely, to look in the word of God and discern, which is what we've been talking about the last couple weeks, between not just right and wrongs. A lot of times we think, well, if I can just make the right decision and not the wrong decision, I'll be fine. And sometimes it is really that black and white, that clear cut. But oftentimes it's really not so much right and wrong, which we tend to know. Now, does that mean we always make the right decision and not the wrong decision? No. Uh, There's many times in our lives that we very much know what decision is right and which one is wrong. And we still are tempted to make the wrong decision. Those are easy to see. Those are easy to spot. Discernment says, especially as we grow as followers of Christ, what does it mean to make a wise and unwise decision? And that's really what we want to tackle in this series. And coming up in this year is, is Lord, help me to be discerning as a follower of Christ to make wise decisions, not unwise decisions. And that means sometimes the right thing at the wrong time is unwise. Sometimes admitting, you know, maybe I did make an unwise decision or I didn't quite get that right. Just being humble enough to say, I'm sorry. You know, I I didn't make the right decision there. And then ask the Lord, Lord, give me strength to make a better decision, a wiser decision next time. To learn from our past mistakes is a key in wisdom. And then applying what we've learned also is wise. And so we've covered quite a bit of ground uh, so far this month. If you've missed any of our series, you can go online, uh, northgoodland.org, or our app, NorthGoodlandBC, in the App Store. You can find all the messages there. Uh, but we've been talking about balancing even between rest and work. We talked about that, that, that busy isn't better. Right? Remember we talked about that, that our culture wants us to think the busy you are, the more successful you are. People wear busyness like a badge of honor. And it's not necessarily a good thing or a healthy thing to be as busy as possible, especially if it's just for busy sake. If we're chasing after things that we think will satisfy us and we think if I can just get to this level, if I can just get to this point in my career, if I can just get this person, if I can just get that raise or get that car or that house, then I'll finally be at peace. As long as we're pursuing stuff instead of the Savior, we'll never be at peace. We're always going to feel this wrestling inside of us. And so busy isn't better. We talked about that. We talked about the fact that people matter more. People matter more than your to-do list. Investing in other people, caring and sharing the love of Christ with other people makes a huge impact in their eternity. So much more than just checking off the to-do list. We also talked about the fact that healthy is better than happiness. And what do we mean by that? That doesn't mean that healthy people aren't happy. I know last week I was waiting for that email. You know, I'm healthy and happy. Mm, You know, so, okay. What I mean is we need to chase healthiness as followers of Christ. And what do we mean by healthiness? Not necessarily physical health, although that's part of the picture, but Christ-likeness. That we need to chase healthiness as far as Christ-likeness in our thinking, in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions, in our devotion to the things of Christ. 
to say, I'm going to be committed to a daily time in, the, in God's word. I'm going to be committed to a time of prayer. I'm going to be committed to serving in my local church. I'm going to be committed this year to using this wisdom to invest in people's lives for the cause of Christ. Because I want to be a fully devoted follower of Christ for his glory and his praise. That's so much more fruitful and beneficial than just chasing mere temporary, cultural, emotional happiness. Because the reality is, as you are a follower of Christ, God is going to call you into something that may not make you happy in the moment, but bring you great joy. And we have to be okay with that. And so we've covered a a lot of ground. Also, I pray that you have found yourself this week putting in the work. We talked about this, that that healthiness requires a choice. I've got to make a choice if I'm going to be healthy physically. I got to watch what I eat. I got to watch what I do. I got to take care of those things. But Christ-like healthiness is no different. It takes a choice. Am I going to choose what's best for me as a follower of Christ? Am I going to choose what takes work as a follower of Christ? You know what that means? Getting up when you don't want to get up and getting in the word. Amen? Apparently everybody's a morning person. Cool. I did not know that. Okay? I am not a morning person. And so for me, that five minutes when people are like, oh, just get it five minutes earlier. That's hard for me. Because I'm like, that's five minutes of sleep. It's not, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen, somebody. But we got to think about this kind of thing. That takes work, right? Taking, making a choice to not do just what's convenient and comfortable, but say, you know what, Lord, I'll go out of my way and I'll serve in that ministry. I, I don't really know if it's for me, but I'll step out and I'll try. I'll give you an opportunity, Lord, to use me and, and prayerfully it'll be glorifying to you. See, it takes work. It takes effort. So I pray that this week you put in some, some work. That you decided, you know what, Lord, I'm going to put in the work to create some healthy, Christ-like habits in my life. I'm going to commit to reading the Bible every single day. You might think, well, preacher, you're talking to a a church. I mean, we're all here this morning, worshiping on a Sunday morning. I'm sure all Christians read their Bible every day. We would be shocked. You would be shocked if you knew the actual statistics of the number of born-again followers of Christ who don't read their Bible, not just daily, weekly. And we wonder why. And when I neglect God's word in my life, do you know what I see as a benefit or a fruit from that? Man, I get stressed a lot easier. I get worried a lot easier. I lose my temper a lot quicker. I don't say the things I should say. And it's not a magic pill. Well, I read a verse, so now I'm good for the rest of the day, right? I read my verse, Lord, everything's going to be perfect today. No, that annoying coworker, still going to be annoying, that boss that's completely unrealistic and has, you know, poor management skills, they're still going to be the same tomorrow, most likely. Do you know what happens as we study God's word and we read God's word and we take God's word and the spirit of God applies that to our hearts and minds? It's amazing. Your circumstances may not change. The people in your life may not change, but all of a sudden things change. You know what changes is your mindset on these things, your perspective on these things. You start looking at work instead of a chore as a mission field. Lord, that person, yeah, they they don't talk to me the best. They don't treat me the best, Lord. And it's okay to share that that's wrong and set some boundaries. But Lord, this person needs Christ. And you've put me here to be a missionary to them. But we don't think that way if we neglect God's word in our lives because we're not being fed, right? The spirit of God is not being fed. We're feeding the flesh with our own thinking and cultural understanding of these things. So, So I pray that you've begun to do that. Maybe you started that last year. Lord, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, or I'm going, to, I'm going to read 15 minutes a day, or whatever it is. This is the other thing, too. It's not even about the quantity of Scripture. I'm going to read a chapter a day, no matter what. But if the Lord gives you pause, and you spend two weeks on two verses, that's okay. 
Because if the Lord is saying, no, you need to camp here for a while, because I, I really want to give you something in this. You've got to grow you through some things here so that you're ready for six months from now when that thing comes into your life that I know is coming and you don't know is coming. That's why you need this word right now. Isn't God so good to prepare us? To get our hearts and our minds ready for the things that we don't even know are coming? That's why we discipline ourselves to be in the word. Now, maybe you're sitting there like, preacher, that sounds good, but I, I've already blown it. Man, I thought I was going to do it, and I've already blown it. That's why there's grace. Stop beating yourself up for the devotion time you've missed, which leads you to feeling guilty, which leads you to then skipping devotion time today or tomorrow. Stop making deals with God. I'll read twice as much tomorrow because I missed today. Here's what you do. You say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. Thank you for your grace and for your restoration in me. I'm going to start afresh today. And you just pick up the word and you just get going. Man, we do, we're so good at beating ourselves up. We're so good at beating ourselves up. We don't need to do that. We just need to commit and say, Lord, help me today to grow more than I grew yesterday. And he's glorified in that. This morning, as we're continuing our study through this idea of starting off on the right foot and looking to wisdom, again, remember week one, we talked about Solomon, King Solomon, when he was asked of God, what would you ask of me, Solomon? As Solomon was beginning his reign as king, uh, known as the wisest man to ever live apart from the person of Jesus Christ. And he could ask God anything. And we know, we studied it. What did he ask God for? Give me wisdom in judgment and leading your people. Help me to lead these people because I can't do this on my own. And we said last week, you and I have been called to share our faith with the world, to make disciples, to grow in Christ. You can't do any of that on your own. And so we can cry out and say, God, I can't do this thing you've called me to. I need your grace. I need your spirit to give me wisdom and guidance and direction. I need your endurance to help me to be patient with the things I go through. So Solomon cried out for wisdom. So we've been asking, what does that look like for our lives this year? What would we cry out for? Well, this morning we're going to discover that wisdom in 2023 comes when we learn to listen. When we learn to listen. Now, if you're interested, you can take notes or follow along on our app. There's a section in there under media, sermon notes. You can click on there and then there's a fill in there for today's date. Uh, if you're interested in doing that, feel free to do so. If you'd like to take notes just with pen and paper, that's cool. Uh, if you're old school like that, I love pen and paper. I still am just old school that way. Um, and as I always try to say, if you do want a copy of my notes, if you miss something, just let me know, email me, let me know, call the office, and I'll be more than happy to just send you my outline. And that way you'll have it for your own studies and whatnot if it would help you. So wisdom says that we need to learn to listen. We need to learn to listen. Go to James chapter 1. Small little book of James in the back of your New Testament, James chapter 1. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats in front of you, there are some, some Bibles there. If you're using one of those Bibles, you can just turn to page 851. So if you're using a Bible provided, you can turn to page 851. James chapter 1 and verse 19. Now, I, honestly, I love the book of James. If you've never done a study through the book of James, um, it's an amazing book. Um, there are uh, five chapters, and so you can do a devotion through James in a week. And so I encourage you, maybe if you're not currently doing a devotion of some kind or a reading plan of some kind, maybe you would start tomorrow with chapter one, go all the way through, and then I guarantee you, you'll get to the Friday, you'll finish chapter five. Monday, you'll say, Lord, I need to read that again. And you'll read it again because it's just there's so much 
in this book. Uh, it is so practical in the writings of James. Now, this James is not the Apostle James that we think of, meaning James and John, the sons of Zebedee. This James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And uh, also, most likely, we believe he was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15, for example, you read about Paul going to Jerusalem, and there was a council that was held. Towards the end of that, James spoke and gave a decision, kind of gave a resolution. That's the same James here. So when you read James, it's written from the heart of a pastor, the heart of someone that loves the church, that loves the body of Christ and wants to see it grow into who Christ calls it to be. And so you read a lot of practical encouragements in James chapter 1. Look at verse 19. So James chapter 1 and verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, and again, can we pause here and recognize our identity? He's writing to the church. He says, you are beloved and my brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't skip those words. Because if you miss those words, you'll start to think, well, if I can do these things it says, then I'll be loved of God. Like, if I can, if I can do these things perfectly, then God will love me. No, no, no. You're beloved in Christ apart from anything you do, apart from anything you've ever done. It purely means you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. You've repented of your sins and asked him to save you. And as a result of that relationship, now... You can do the things that God calls us to do by his strength and by his grace. So chapter 19, or chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man, so no one gets out of this, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So let's read it again. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Lord, we desperately need you, Lord. Uh, none of this is worth anything if you aren't working, moving, guiding in our hearts and minds. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear from your word this morning as your spirit applies it to our hearts and minds, that you would affirm it. Lord, that we'd be changed and conformed even more so into the image of Christ as we are hungry for your righteousness. And Lord, I don't know what everyone in this room is going through. I don't know the weights they're coming in here with, Lord, the burdens, the cares, and the concerns, but you do. And I pray that as only you can, that you would lift each one of them, that you would remind them of your grace, of your mercy, of your desire to draw them closer to you. Lord, if there's someone here that's battling with a past sin or guilt or shame or anything like that, Lord, I pray that they would know that they can repent of those things if they haven't done so already in Receive your grace. If there's somebody here, Lord, that has already repented, but their flesh won't let them forget those things, I pray that they would surrender that to you and realize that their identity in Christ has not changed. They are still beloved. They are still a son and daughter of God. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that does not know you as their Lord and personal Savior, maybe they've gone to church their whole life. Maybe they've been baptized. Maybe they've read the Bible through, but they don't know you. Lord, I pray they'd make the decision today to trust in Christ not in a denomination, not in morality or good works, not even in religion, but to trust in person and work of Jesus Christ, to receive the gift of salvation, moving of your spirit, that we be surrendered to you and open what you have for us. Help us to listen this morning, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, this is a pretty direct encouragement. Amen. Uh, you can't really read that and go, gee, I wonder what James wants me to do. What am I supposed to do after reading this? Well, he says, Swift to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to wrath. Now, if we're being honest, wisdom is found when we speak less, control our anger, and listen more. That's really what James is saying. Wisdom is found when you speak less, control your anger, and listen more. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I thought about it, but then I thought if you're sitting next to your spouse, they're probably going to try to raise your hand for you when I ask this question. I don't want to do that, cause any marital rifts before we dismiss this afternoon. But I, I can raise my hand. I have a hard time listening, right? I have a hard time listening. I, have, I can hear what people are saying. Now, some of you are like, I have a hard time listening and I have a hard time hearing, right? I understand things happen, but we're not talking about that. But some of us have a real difficult time listening. We hear, we don't listen. Some of us have this tendency where when somebody starts talking to us, we hear the first 10 or 12 seconds. And then what do we start thinking about? What we're going to say in return. And we're just like, would you stop talking so I can talk? Because I got something I want to tell you. This is what we do. And this is why a lot of times when you have conversations with people, they look at you like, did you not hear anything I said? Oh yeah, I heard you. Well, what did I say? I love asking my children that question. Did you hear me? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I heard you, Dad. What did I say? Um, And then they'll come up with the most random thing, you know, like, you wanted me to do this. Well, yeah, that's what I said five minutes ago. A lot of us have a hard time listening, like really hearing what people are saying. But I I truly believe, at least in, in my opinion and affirmed in the Word of God, that wisdom comes when we listen your coworker that doesn't know Christ and they want to talk to you about their journey or their questions or their confusion. Listen, don't listen for just long enough so you can refute what they're saying. Don't listen just to try to convince them to get saved or talk them into salvation. A family member that's wanting to ask you questions, let, give them space. Let them have time to ask those questions. Hear what they're saying and then respond with truth. Respond in love And you can give answers and you can speak to those things, but make sure you're hearing what they're saying. You're actually listening to them. Do you know when people know they're being listened to, man, they know you respect them, you care for them. Now, what do we do when we realize we aren't doing a good job of that? Exactly what I said at the beginning. We repent of that. We say, hey, I'm really sorry. Could you repeat that? And my mind was somewhere else. But wisdom is found when we listen, when we listen to each other. Now, Proverbs 2, 2, this is in your notes, I believe, but you can jot it down if you'd like. We're not going to turn there for time's sake, but Proverbs 2, 2 gives us another example of this idea. It tells us this, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Proverbs says that we are to incline our ears unto wisdom. What does that mean? To listen, to tend to listen for wisdom, and then apply our hearts to understanding. So what you hear in wisdom, apply in your hearts and in your minds. Do what wisdom says to do, that you've heard the instruction, now do it. Now the reason I wanted to go to Proverbs is because Proverbs and James are sister books. Proverbs is an Old Testament wisdom literature. James is a New Testament wisdom literature. It's very practical, very direct. I know Proverbs, if you've ever tried to read Proverbs, there's a lot of cultural things in there. You might think, well, I don't get this or I don't get that. I understand. It's a different culture. It's a different people group. But the principles that we find in Proverbs are super beneficial, very helpful to us. The book of Proverbs, which again deals heavily in the area of wisdom, we see the idea of listening and hearing referenced 35 verses. 
35 verses that I did, just a quick search, just a quick little study. There's probably more, but what I found just in a quick study, 35 verses dealing specifically with listening and hearing in regards to wisdom, each dealing with a different aspect of both positive and negatively listening to wisdom or instruction. What do I mean? Positively, we heard and we applied. Negatively, we did not hear wisdom. And Proverbs lays out, if you choose to listen or not listen, then you are now liable for the consequence of that, either receiving instruction or rejecting instruction. The truth is we need desperately to learn to listen if we desire to live Christ-like lives. We need desperately to learn to listen if we are to live Christ-like lives. Now, the question arises, what do we listen to? What, what voices do we listen to? Where do we find this wisdom and this instruction in today's day and age? As I kind of mentioned in the bulletin note there, and I'm sure all of you read it twice, and so I appreciate that. I'm sure none of you just kind of glanced over it and pushed it away. I've often thought, like, if I just put the same bulletin note in like three weeks in a row and just see what happens. Like, if anybody's like, hey, wait a minute. But I mentioned in there about this idea of so many voices. There are so many voices that want to speak into your life. And while I'm not going to give an exhaustive list of do and don'ts or things like that, because I believe that when we give ourselves to the word of God, God will give us the wisdom in these things. But I do want to touch on two valuable resources God has given us to listen to. Two valuable resources that God has blessed you with that we can listen to for wisdom and instruction. Now, the first one, pretty obvious and not really a strange place to start, would be we need to listen to the word. We need to listen to the word. I've met so many people. I wish God would just speak to me. I wish he would just talk to me. He has already spoken to you. And you don't have to stumble around in the darkness. It's revealed. So many people are like, I just need a new word. I just need a new word. No, we really need to know the word. And the more we give ourselves to the word of God, the truth of God's word. See, here's the thing. This doesn't change. This is the standard. I mean, some people want to talk about, you know, well, I had this experience and that experience and this word and that word. If it's affirmed by God's word, we have no problems. But when someone comes to me and says, well, God has led me in this or God gave me this word or God give me this experience. And we go to scripture and I go, but I don't see that in here. Well, I don't know what the Bible says about it. I just know what I've experienced. That's dangerous ground. Because now you're saying you are on plane with scripture. You're on equal plane, equal footing with scripture. There's only one inspired word, and he's given it to us that we might learn to listen and hear what the word says. He's also, by the way, through salvation, given you his Holy Spirit, the author of the word of God, the one that inspired Peter and John and Paul to write all these words. He's given him to you. And so when you're reading the word, the author of the book you are reading is with you, instructing you, guiding you, giving you illumination, which just means understanding, helping you to know what the word says. And there's so many people that want to speak into our lives. And I'm not saying they're wrong. There's so many good resources. We've talked about this before. There's so many places you can go online. You can pull up anybody you want on YouTube or on any social media and just listen to sermon after sermon. And there's a great blessing in that. The downside of that, though, is there's a lot of people that throw Bible verses on things that are not in God's word. But they're Christian, preacher. They, 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 they're part of a church. They got to be okay. We need to be discerning. Amen? Wise. Okay, is what this person's saying lining up with Scripture? Not, 
a denominational difference of opinion, that's fine. There's plenty of examples of that. Or church tradition, that's fine. There's plenty of examples of that. But when it comes down to the core teachings of God's word, do they affirm that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin? That he lived a sinless life? That he died on a sinner's cross? That he, we need to receive the gospel to go to heaven? Does, does, do they affirm these things? We need to listen to the word of God because it is our source of wisdom. So if we're taking notes this morning, listening to the word is the first place we're going to start, and then it's our source of wisdom. The Bible is the most unique book that we have to record in humanity. It is one of the most unique resources. You see, the, li- the Bible is not one book, but a library of books. This is not really one book. This is a library of 66 beautiful, unique, individual writings from, from kings and priests to peasants and fishermen as authors. From individuals that we would think should be writing scripture and from individuals that we would think have no place even being recorded in the Bible. And God orchestrates all of it together. This library of resources, it reveals to us the God of all creation, the problem and consequence of sin, the reality of God's grace, the coming of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, the need for salvation, the wonder of eternal life in heaven, and the sobering truth of hell. The immeasurable glory of God, all revealed, all displayed in this amazing collection of writings. You see, it is more than a guidebook for life. It leads us to what we must believe to be followers of Christ, why we believe what we believe, and how to live out what we believe in who we believe. This is why everything we teach and preach as a church will continually be drawn from the word of God, not man's opinion, not my ideas, not culture, not trends, not church growth strategies, but everything comes from the word of God. Why? Because this is our foundation. This is our standard. I'm always amazed when I hear people talk about their various church experiences. I was saved in this youth ministry back in 1998. It was one of the first churches I'd been in. I went to a church before that. Great church, but just I never come to know Christ there. Uh, Baptist church. So when I came to North Goodland at the little church over there on Clear Lake Road and Brown City Road, it was pretty much the same. And I was like, okay, this is fine. And came to know Christ at camp. And, and I honestly thought this was what church was like everywhere. Like I thought little North Goodland, open with two hymns, have an offering, then you've got a special, then a hymn, then preaching, invitation, go home. That's, that's church, right? That's all I've ever known. And I went to college down in Missouri for five years, four-year degree. So I was down there for a little while. Anyone can do it in four years. Amen, Keith? Amen. Yes. Anyone can do it in the standard amount of time. Jeez. Challenge yourself, people. Okay. And I visited so many churches. Now, here's the thing. They all believe the same thing. But the school I went to, they had a requirement. You had to join a local church. And there was about 35 churches that were on a list of churches you could go join as a student of the school I went to all believe the same doctrine. But you walk in one church, it was just like North Goodland. You walk in another church, nothing like North Goodland. Preach the same gospel, preach the same word. And it was so eye-opening to me. But honestly, other than that, I came back here, I got on staff, and this has been my church. And I love our church. I love North Goodland. And so when I hear people say, well, I visit this church or that church or this church, it's always amazing to me because I've not had that experience. I've not been to tons and tons of different kinds of churches, a few different churches, but mostly different in style, not really in message. 
And I'm always amazed when people come here and they'll be sharing their experience and I'm just looking for a church. And my, my encouragement every single time somebody says, I'm just looking for a church, it's this. And if you're here and you're looking for a church and you're a visitor or this is your first or hundredth time with us, my encouragement is always this. I'm praying for wisdom that God will lead you to the right church for you where you'll grow, serve, and connect with the Lord. Whatever that is. If it's here, great. If it's somewhere else, praise the Lord. But I'm always amazed when people say, you know what, preacher, I just got to tell you, I love that you guys use, you know, like the Bible when, when you're preaching. Come on, nobody tells you that. Yes. I just love that you actually referenced scripture. Well, also when people say they like we keep the lights on, but that's a different story. But I'm just teasing about that part. But I'm always amazed. And I want to ask these people, like what, if you're not using the word of God, what else is there? Like, what else do we have to preach if we don't preach the message of Christ from the word of God? Now I understand what they mean. They mean, you know, maybe that preacher referenced one or two verses and that morning that they were here, I might reference four or five. I get what they mean for the most part. But you'd be surprised to know there's a lot of churches in our country and preachers that stand up that will not preach from the word. Or they're so selective because they're so afraid. If I offend someone, they won't come back. If I preach things like sin is a reality for those that don't know Christ, the blood of Christ is necessary to cover our sins. If I preach those things, man, but preacher, they're not going to come back. And I believe that the Bible is true when it says that Jesus said, I will build my church. I don't build his church. You don't build his church. He builds his church. He uses us to help come alongside and encourage others, but he builds his church. See, the word of God is our source of wisdom. We need to pray and ask the Lord to help us to learn to listen to his word. And let's also be thankful for his grace when we fall and fail to apply the things the word lays forth. I can raise my hand and tell you that many days I know exactly what the Bible would have me do in a situation. And I choose, for whatever reason, to say, no, Lord, not today. No, Lord, I'm not doing that today. I'm so thankful for his grace. Is it an excuse to condone sin? No. It's an amazing gift of God to say, I know your weaknesses and I know your limitations. If you would just repent and turn to me, I will use you. God doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to be faithful. So let's just grow in faithfulness in his word. Amen. Not only is it our source of wisdom, it is also our guiding lamp. I'm going to give you an example. This Psalm 119, probably the most popular passage. Psalm 119, 105. This is the word of God. The word of God is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I love that verse. I know many of us when we were kids in junior church or Sunday school or VBS, you memorize that verse. So maybe for you it's grown a little less impactful, but I pray that it's a, a, an encouragement to you to know the word of God is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And I've mentioned it before, but I have to share. It's the greatest example of my life I can think of where I saw this come true was when I was down in college, before we went to that college in Missouri, I was visiting there with some, a group from our church and we went through caves, uh, the Merrimack Caverns, I think it was called. And off, has anyone been in the caves where you get in like a vehicle and you're driving through caves underground? Anyone been in an experience like that? A couple people, okay. Coolest thing, freakiest thing I've ever done, but the coolest thing. Because you're driving in this cave and you're just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And we're in this little like Jeep vehicle thing and we're kind of in the back. And it's just as you're driving, you look over and there's just like this drop off. And it just, it's so dark. 
and you just have the headlights and the little lights on the vehicle that are kind of lighting everything up as you're going through this cave and, and we're going through and I'm like, this is really neat. And they stop in this one spot and they said, okay, we just want to show you how dark it can be in here. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want you to do is turn the lights off. That's a great idea. Do that. Cause I'm already worried what's in this cave that we don't know about. It's going to bite me or infect me or something. I don't know. So they cut all the lights off on the vehicle. I have never in my life been in that kind of darkness. Like I've been out, you know, at night when you're maybe camping and, and there's no lights around. Doesn't even compare. It was so dark. I literally, like, and literally could not see my hand in front of my face. I mean, I was touching. I couldn't see anything. People right next to you can't see anything. And it always stuck with me, this verse. We live in a world spiritually that is so dark. And, and people are walking around in darkness, blinded, just stumbling about in darkness. And God, by his grace, has given us his word. And it is a light unto our feet. You know what that means? It's dark all around. But when that light comes on, I can see the steps I need to take. Now, is it a light that's going to show me the next five years? No, not necessarily. It may only show you the next three steps. But praise God, you take those steps in the light, not in the dark. And so we take those steps by faith and we walk by faith and we say, Lord, thank you for the light that gives me wisdom. What is Proverbs saying here? It's saying you have the wisdom you need to take the right step, the wise step to honor God. And he's given it to you. So are we investing in the word or are we neglecting it? Again, the world does not have the light that we have. And so as John says, we walk in the light. Why? Because we love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we love his word. This was Paul's encouragement to Timothy. If you're taking notes, I believe this is in the outline, but if not, you can jot it down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is Paul's encouragement to Timothy, a young pastor. He tells him to know the word, to study and know the word. Why? Because it is in the scriptures that we discover the way of salvation. He refers that to that to him. And then also it instructs us on how to live a godly life. And so in scripture, we find the way of salvation, first of all. So praise God, he revealed that to us. He didn't have to, he chose to. And then we actually find how to live a godly life. How do we live away in a way that honors the one who gave us his son and gave us eternal life? It is a guiding lamp in our life. It is a source of wisdom. So are we listening to the word? Are we a student of the word? I said it last week. So many people think, well, I've been in church a long time, preacher. I've, I've learned all that. I know that verse. I know that verse. Yep, I already knew where you were going when you referenced that verse. That's great. You're not there yet. The Apostle Paul says at the end of his life, if I could just know the power of Christ and his resurrection, if I could just know the sufferings of Christ, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13, 13 New Testament letters, who traveled about 10,000 miles by foot preaching the gospel, who established churches all over the world, known world, and who also led the first European convert in Lydia, Acts 16, to Christ. That guy, that Apostle Paul says at the end of his life, you know, God, if I could just know the power of the resurrection, if I could just know the power of Christ. And so what do we take from that as an encouragement? No matter how long we live as followers of Christ, we can always learn and grow and understand more of our Savior for his glory. So we listen to the word. Again, a simple point, but one I know in my life I've neglected at times. But secondly, I want to share with us that we listen to those that have gone before. 
We listen to those that have gone before. Our culture has neglected this valuable resource. We live in a culture that more and more ridicules or demeans our older generation. Where somehow their experience and wisdom are seen as something to be mocked or looked down upon. We live in a culture where phrases and sayings are meant to humiliate and call someone who's older and embarrass them and mock them because they're just older and they just don't know. And we ridicule. This this generation coming up right now is losing such a valuable resource by listening to those that have gone on before. We unfortunately have a generation growing up right now that is missing out on the wealth of knowledge available to them both in life experience and in our journey for Christ. And we have people that God has blessed us with and others that are older than us that we can look to as examples, not only in life experience, but in how God has grown them, how God has shaped them, things they've gone through that we can learn from them and listen to their wisdom. I'll never forget at the old church, Wednesday nights, we didn't have like a youth group on Wednesday nights. When I first started going to the church, we met on Sunday mornings. So Wednesday night, the teens were just in with the adults. Super small group. I don't know, maybe, maybe 30, 40 people there, something like that, when I was first starting to go on Wednesday nights. And I'll never forget, and some of you that were there, you remember this. Raymond Linky, who used to sit in the back row. Raymond and Lillian Linky. And they were missionaries down in South America, I believe in Brazil, if I'm remembering right. And I'll never forget Wednesday night prayer meeting. Now, sometimes I'll admit, early on, he would start going into a prayer request. I'm not going to ask anyone here that's older to admit that if you do this or not. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But he started getting into this prayer request, and it would just lead to this story, which led to another story and another story. And early on, I was like, 20 minutes, here we go. Like, it's just going to be... And somewhere along the line, something clicked where I was just listening. And he said something. And I was just like, what did he just say? As far as his experience in the mission field. And then it was almost like something clicked. And every Wednesday night, I was like, I really hope he shares something tonight. Just the wealth of knowledge that this man had. And he wasn't arrogant about it or or cocky about it or somehow bragging. He was just sharing how Christ had used him and how Christ was glorified in him and how thankful he was and how humble he was by that and just all that God had done and the goodness of God and the grace of God. And I was sitting and thinking, man, God, thank you that we get to be here and hear from this man. But so many people, just because somebody is older, it's just, well, you just don't, you're just, you don't know. And we lose such a valuable resource. I'm going to go to a passage that I believe kind of puts in, in picture or in, in our minds a picture of this. Go to Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 21. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can actually turn to page 254. Second Samuel chapter 21. Now many of you know First and Second Samuel had deals a lot with the life of David. King David, who was a man after God's own heart, according to God's word, and yet a man who stumbled and and did have some faults and failures in his life, but repented of those things, and God never more or never again looked back on those sins. Never more. I went to, like, Edgar Allan Poe all of a sudden. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) So 2 Samuel chapter 21 We want to look at a few verses here as we understand this. And so again, um, 
I really want to draw from this the principle of what we're talking about, that we need to look at the older generations, those that have gone on before, those voices, and listen to them, give them the due respect that they deserve, and and hear what they have to say. And so, again, I pray that God would just give us an encouragement on that. So look at Second Samuel chapter 21 in verse 15. So Second Samuel chapter 21 in verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. Now, again, remember the story of Bathsheba. David was out on his rooftop, out at his palace, and he looked out and he saw Bathsheba taking a bath on her roof, which again, just, ladies, if you're going to take a bath, probably not on your roof, but um, maybe inside somewhere, I don't know, just throwing that out there is maybe a little wisdom. So, no, I'm just kidding, in culture, it was fine. But, so she's out there doing that, David sees this, we know the story, right? He commits this sinful act, all that comes out of that, the death of Uriah. But what's interesting is that when you read that story, David was supposed to be at battle. He was supposed to be at war. Now, as far as we know, from what we're talking about this morning, this is just a side note, if you will, but as far as we know, that is the only time that David stayed home when he should have been at battle. Every other time, David was where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing. And here we see again, even towards the end of his life, he's at battle. He's where he's supposed to be. He's out in the mix. He's, he's with his men. And so again, I'm always blown away by that. The one time that we have recorded for us that David was at home when he was supposed to be at battle led to him putting himself in a situation to be tempted and gave into that temptation, which led to some horrible consequences. And it just reminds me, I have to always pause there and say, Lord, help me to have wisdom to be where I'm supposed to be. And if I find myself where I'm not supposed to be, give me the wisdom to know that you will give me a way of escape out of that temptation. And so here, we jump in here, we find out that he's out at battle. But as he's at battle, something happens. He gets tired. Now, verse 16. It says here, in Ishbi Benab, which again, if you're looking for a name, anyone looking to have a child anytime soon, Ishbi Benab. Maybe you can go with like Nabi. I don't know what a nickname would be, but Ishi. Um, So it says here in verse 16, in Ishbi Benab, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. He being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. So the giant being of that line, or most likely of Goliath. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. We read here that David, as he's getting older, is still going out to battle. However, he is unable to fight with the same tenacity that he was able to fight with when he was younger. Another translation says it this way. Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of the battle, David became weak and exhausted. David's heart was to fight, but his body wasn't cooperating. And as we get older, we may feel the same limitations over us. This doesn't mean as we get older, we are incapable of being active. In fact, we should all be encouraged to continue to be active no matter our age. But David's men grew concerned that they almost lost David in battle. They almost lost him because as he was getting tired, as he was getting weaker, he couldn't fight back. And they almost lost King David. 
They encouraged David to remain at the palace, to not go out to war with them any longer. And the concern was that they did not want to risk losing him, or as they said, the light of Israel. Now this phrase means lamp or candle. Lamp or candle. And what are they saying? You are the light of our nation. David, you are the the candle of our nation. You are the light brought to the people of Israel. The phrase is connected to David in 1st and 2nd Kings as well as 2nd Chronicles. It deals primarily with the covenant between God and David and his descendants, which we know will lead to the person of Jesus Christ. So why were David's men so concerned with David going out to battle? Well, they realized that David's wisdom was more valuable than his sword. David's wisdom was more valuable than his sword. They wanted to protect the treasure of his experiences, both good and bad, so that their nation would grow in the Lord. David, we don't need you to fight no more. We don't need you to get out there with us. We got this. We can do this. We want you to stay at the palace. Why? Because we can't lose you. Why? Because we need your wisdom, your encouragement, your experiences, your strength. We need your walk with the Lord. And and what does that look like? And what has God done? And would you just tell us again how God has strengthened you? So how do we apply this to our generation? How do we apply this to those of us here that are younger, or those of us that are, as we're raising children? How do we encourage our children to think this way? Maybe you're here and you're older and you're later on in years. How do you apply this to your life as a grandparent? The truth is this generation does not need another person pointing out their faults. They have plenty of that already. What this generation does need is to hear stories of your life and your experiences with Christ. How has God grown, grown you in his word? I would encourage all of you, if you're later on in years, that maybe you would take time and just start writing down all that God has done. Just record what God has shown you and then begin to share that with others as God gives you opportunity. Share how God has moved in your life. How is he blessed? How has he shown himself faithful? The Bible says over and over again that the older generation is to come alongside the younger and to teach them the things of God. We need, this younger generation needs your mentorship. We need wisdom. Some examples of that, Titus chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 3 and chapter 5 speak to this idea and principle. And even directly in Titus 2 where it says older women coming alongside younger women to help them learn what it means to be a woman as a follower of Christ. And men, we need older men to come alongside younger men and help us to know what does it mean to be a man of God's heart, a man that walks with Christ. I love our men's Bible studies because we have such a a range of ages in there. And I love when we can sit and talk and discuss things and we hear some older guys sharing some thoughts and some things that God has done in their life. And what a blessing that is. You see, a church is not called to be one or the older when it comes to older or younger. And we hear churches get described this way. Oh, it's an older church or it's a younger family church. When I hear somebody say that, I think, man, they're just missing out. That's what they're a missing out church. Because guess what? As a younger person, you might say, you're not that young. I'm only 41. Easy. Take it easy. But being younger, only being married for so many years, I need wisdom from those that have gone on before. But I also can be a blessing to the younger generation, helping them to know what I've learned. 
And also younger families in the church and those of us that can serve and do more day to day and and get in the trenches. Some of you have done that for 30 or 40 or 50 years and your time to serve that way has passed because you're just, you just can't keep up physically. Well, that's okay. You don't have to still be in the trenches that way. We need your wisdom. We don't need you to go to war with us. We just need you to give us your wisdom and your guidance. Do you see how this dynamic can play out in the church? How the dynamic is supposed to be established in the church? But so many churches are missing out on this. Again, I'm always amazed at how many times I hear someone share about a grandparent and how influential they were in that person's walk with Christ. In fact, this last Wednesday night, under no prompting of me, we were sharing praises and one of the men in the prayer time said just how thankful they were in their prayer for a grandparent that loved on them, that that prayed for them, that when they went sideways and they walked away from the Lord for a season, that that grandparent never gave up on them, kept praying for them, kept encouraging them. You see, no matter what you think your physical limitations are, your spiritual reach in Christ is limitless. Maybe you're older and like, Pastor, I can't do those things anymore. That's fine. But your spiritual reach, your ability to pray, it's limitless. So how are you, as someone who is older, maybe in our group this morning or watching online, shining as a lamp in your family, in your church, or in your community? You may feel, again, limited with what you can do physically, but I want to encourage you that prayer is the greatest way to shine for Christ into the lives of others. For those of us that are younger, how are we both learning from the generation that's gone before, listening to those voices, also not just physically, but in reading and studying some great minds that have come before. Theologians that we can read their words and just be encouraged with. How are we gleaning from those voices and also sharing that with the younger generation? And if you're younger this morning, maybe you're a high school student, how are you listening to those voices The culture would tell you, oh, just, they don't know. They're disconnected. They're so unaware. They can't work social media. They can't do this. They're useless. Wow, I didn't know that was the standard of successful living in our world today. Man, don't rob yourself of the blessing if you're a young person here today. Listen to the voices that God has placed in your life. It will grow you and help you to grow in so many ways. Finally, we all need to be listening to the word. Because the only wisdom we must give is given to us through the word. No matter our age, the only way we can be a lamp shining in our families is to allow the word of God to be a light in our own lives. Would you pray with me as we go to invitation this morning? With your heads bowed right there where you are as you begin to pray and just seek the Lord. I'm so thankful for your time this morning, for being so attentive. And I pray that that you were listening this morning to his word. That God would give you the wisdom in knowing how to apply what you've heard this morning. And as you begin to pray there where you are and we prepare to have a time of invitation, maybe you would come forward this morning and just bend a knee and just say, Lord, I need to listen to your word. Help me to be diligent. Help me to be a student of your word to, to hear what it says to know how to apply it. Lord, thank you for your grace where I've stumbled. Thank you for your grace to welcome me back. Thank you that I can come to you 
anew and you won't remind me of my sin. So maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Lord, help me to listen to your word, not just to hear it, but to listen. And I think the listening is proven in the doing. James says that we aren't to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I mean, I believe we listen to what the word says and we allow it to be applied in our lives, not just hearing it in one ear and out the other. And so, Lord, I just pray that as only you can, by the working of your spirit, that you give us your wisdom, that you would draw those that need to make a decision this morning, make a commitment, whether they're in your seats or here at the altar, that they would say, Lord, help me to listen. So, Lord, give us open ears. I'm always amazed, Lord, in your word. It talks about the early church being dull of hearing. They weren't dull of preaching. They had your word. They had people to preach it and proclaim it. It was the listening that was the problem. And so I thank you, Lord, for your grace that we can commit today to listen. But Father, not just to your word, but to the many, many voices of the older generation that have walked with Christ for so long, have learned so much. So whether it's in print from somebody that's gone home to be be with you, or whether it's somebody in our lives physically that we can listen to, that we can talk to. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here in that older generation that has been led to come alongside a younger person, not to criticize them or to critique what they're wearing or what they're listening to or any of those kind of surface things foolish things, but to come alongside them and just love on them and to direct them to the things of Christ. To be honest and real and genuine, to admit their own failures. So Lord, just I pray in all these things, Lord, I I know my mind feels full of different applications, but I'm just so thankful that you can apply it directly to what we need. So I pray, Lord, that you've been glorified. I pray that all of this has pointed people to you. I pray that you've taken my simple finite words and my understanding and spoken through that by your word, Lord. And I pray that I did not get in the way, but that you've been glorified. This is all for you, Lord. So draw us unto understanding more of what that means. And Father, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, may they repent of their sins and trust in Christ. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy and your word. And may we just dwell in your presence this morning. Father, we love you. We give you all the praise we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? Would you respond? Whether they're in your seats, you want to come and pray up front. Whatever God is doing, would you respond in? Listening to his word.